Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. We couldn't laugh, we would all go insane. That's for sure. So, look, I don't think there's anything that's a cure for the blues better than Jimmy Buffett and maybe a margarita, right? Even if it's raining outside. But we're not going to talk about uh, laughing, going insane, or margaritas and Jimmy Buffett. We're going to talk about changes in attitude. Okay. So, the attitude that we carry with us each day is probably one of the most important things that we can use to help our success in our business, whatever we do. And let's face it, some days we wake up in just a bad mood. Um, some days we wake up in a good mood and what happens? Something happens that changes our attitude. And so maybe you remember when you were a kid, your parents said what? You're gonna get a what adjustment? <laughs> You're gonna get an attitude adjustment, young man. And what would that usually mean? You're gonna catch one upside the rear end. But um, when we're adults here, where does our attitude adjustment come from? Because I love this. I absolutely love this. If we said when we are adults, um, when we're having a bad day, when we just let something get to us or something distract us, we don't have mom and dad coming in saying you're going to get an attitude adjustment. Sometimes Angelique gives me a little bit of an attitude adjustment when I need it. And then sometimes that attempt at an attitude adjustment leads to a little bit of friction. So we're going to talk from a place of, uh, this great example that John C. Maxwell gives us about what it means to have an attitude adjustment. Now, the first part of attitude is actually defining what it what this means. So John C. Maxwell says this, our attitude makes the difference in our life more than just about anything. We've heard this before. I'll repeat it again. Your attitude in life makes the difference more than just about anything. You've seen people that just have a good attitude. You know, it could be one of those days where everybody turns on the news and there's a big story and it's just, everybody's like, wow, this is bad. And then there's one person like, I heard it, I know, but you know what? Life goes on, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep pushing. And we wanna be around those people. We wanna be around those people. What about in a company? Think about somebody in your company now or in a prior company who just had a great attitude and you're like, the more I'm around this person, man, the better I feel. All things being equal, John C. Maxwell says, the person with a positive, healthy attitude will prevail over the person who may have a skill, great skill set, but a lousy attitude. So when you're look, looking at things and you look at somebody else and says, well, that person's smarter than me. That person's a better speaker than me. That person has more experience than me, but that person has a lousy attitude. Hmm. It says attitude cannot replace talent, but it is the difference maker between two talented people. 
So let's go right back into your own life. So on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, one being the worst, this last week, how would you rate your attitude? Okay, now what about in the last year? What's your attitude been in the, in the last year? Look, so much of uh, what we're gonna talk about next is how we change that attitude, okay? And, and we get five very great examples here from John C. Maxwell. And look, the word being around things, we have to realize when we don't have control of so much in our lives, when we go back to the word, it has to change your attitude. It has to, because we feel so helpless in this world. We feel like we are at the mercy of our government. We feel like we're at the mercy of people who are just richer, more powerful than us. We feel like we're at the mercy of people who may uh, want to choose more mean or violent means. And then you go back to the word and it's like, look, this is just a little thing, guys. You know, this little, this little blip we have here. Think about this. And I'm not going to get too religious here or too faith-based here, but I will. <laughs> I'm saying I won't, but I will. I had somebody draw out a timeline when I first became a Christian uh, or reborn, draw out a timeline. And it was, it looked like this. It was literally on a whiteboard. It was creation, Adam and Eve, uh, you know, Moses, Noah, the Noah, Moses, the apostles, all this stuff, um, Acts, Revelation, but on both sides. So here's, here's creation and here's Revelation. Think about this. On both sides was this thing called eternity. And that tripped me out because I'm looking at it on a whiteboard. I'm like, I know this spot. I know the creation and, I, and, I, and I've read Revelation, but you have eternity on both sides. What is that? <sighs> My mind can't even begin. Our minds can't even begin to fathom that. Our minds. I have in my notes here, if we go from a scientific point, what it's like, I think that the sun, the sun represents, geez, I, I want to get it, but I don't think I'll be able to go to it right away. Um, the, the sun represents like the power of like 40 at 400 atom bombs going off every second at the same time. Like when, when we think about where we are and we think about eternity, we think about the sun and if we're like 0.25 degrees off on our axis, we're not even breathing or living. So when we think about the big things, if you go into a biblical study of science and you know someone that knows science and knows and believes in God, you'll have your mind blown. So I feel like our attitude discussion on earth here and our everyday thing has to have some sort of biblical and scientific um, framework to it for us to really realize that all of this stuff that we let rest on our shoulders and for some reason this morning this is weird i just remember this i woke up thinking about atlas do you know who atlas is he's the the yeah the greek guy and you know i thought about it because i i remember we went to greece and i took this picture outside and i superimposed this atlas world on my back and i'm thinking to myself he represented the weight of the world so when we talk about attitude and when we talk about the weight of the world and then we talk about eternity and eternity bookending both sides of creation. We got to start to take a deep breath here and go, wow. Like, what are we sometimes getting in a bad attitude about? If we, if we think that we were made and we think and we live and we have love and we have a conscious for this little 80 to 90 year span, sometimes less, 
got to think that over again. So that's that's the framework. Let's get into some stuff here that's a little bit more grounded um, that we can use. John C. Maxwell says, where did you get your attitude? The big three is our family. The next one is our experience growing up, friends, our environment, our neighborhood. And then the next one is personal development, what you look for, what you sought out, what you're actively doing maybe to change that attitude that you came from in your family or your neighborhood. Think about that. Those, uh, those are what we're seeking to change the attitude probably that we got from our family or our neighborhood. Now, let's face it. We want to blame the family. It's easy. I mean, you know, sometimes we, we call that Irish temper. It's funny. Um, everybody has a problem with stereotypes, but the fighting Irish, we keep that, we keep that guy up there. That Notre Dame fighting Irish guy, that drunk fighting Irish guy, that's not offending anybody. Everything else, people get offended, but the Irish people don't say, hey, so we're all drunks? Let that sink in for a little bit, how we need to be a little bit less sensitive. Um, but we can blame that. And certainly I think, and I see it, I hear Ella, she's painting out there sometimes. And it's so funny. It's not funny, but I hear her get really frustrated and just kind of scream and I can hear her through the walls. And I know that's her dad and the frustration coming out when mom doesn't really have that type of frustration. So there is some type of genetic attitude that we can finally see, but growing up, a lot of people grew up with an attitude. Hey, you came from this side of town. You can't get out of this you know, we have songs about that. If you listen to old songs like from Bruce Springsteen or old songs, even from uh, old songs from like Billy Joel about fishing or about being from a mining town, people are like, hey, you know what? You can't leave this. You grew up here. You can't escape this. This is where you're at. This is what you're born into. And so we have personal development that helps us rise out of that. What is the best personal development book of all time? The number one. We're about to read some from it. It says, our attitude is an inward feeling expressed in our outward behavior. An inward feeling, yes, expressed in our outward behavior. How many times have you ever guys ever had, maybe in the last week or so, expressed an outward behavior of your inward feeling and you're like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have. And now... Now, more than ever, it's not, we're expressing that how, like this. We see it all the time. We're expressing an outward expression of inward behavior or an outward behavior of an inward feeling. And we see it on Twitter and people do what? They erase it. What happens? We're talking mostly with celebrities and politicians. What happens after they make that tweet and then they erase it? Too late. Too late. Someone already copied it and sent it out. So now more than ever, that's why so many of us are afraid to be bold. We can't make a mistake. In 1988, if you said some stupid or crazy stuff or you expressed some outward behavior or an inward feeling, guess what? It was gone. Someone could say it, but you don't have any proof. Now, bam, there it is. You said it. You're accountable. That's a scary feeling. And I think that's what's holding so many people back in so many different ways is because we have to be so perfect and so accountable because every expression, every in, outward expression of an inward feeling is there. It's like chronicled, cataloged, and it's brought back up. So you can't make a mistake, yes? 
scary stuff. Okay, our attitude comes from our personality, which we just talked about, and our personality is shaped by the people that we grew up with in our family, both in our neighborhood and in our personal lives. It's shaped by our, our environment, again, our environment when we grew up in the neighborhood, maybe the church you grew up in, maybe the school, if it was a private school or if it was a rough school, that's our environment. The impact of others, the people that we come into contact with. The easiest part is just as a student, yes. You are the people that you hang around in high school. How many people ever hung around with bad people in high school and you develop bad habits? I was a really good boy until I started dating a really bad girl. And then I became a bad boy. And it took me to find a good girl to become a good boy again. See how that works? And there was a 10 year gap in there where I was a mess. I was a good boy, met a bad girl, became a bad boy, met a good girl, became a good boy. Who you hang out with matters. <laughs> it does in a big way, okay? Um, our self image has a lot to do with our attitude. This we bring the body back into it. So many of us uh, listening here are people that work on their bodies, that we are, our livelihood depends on developing the body, keeping the body in shape, keeping the body healthy, both from a physiological standpoint and a physical standpoint. If you don't look good, you don't what? Perform good. If you don't feel good, you don't what? Perform good. So our self-image has a huge impact on where we are, what we're doing, and where we're going. That's why when we are in shape, all of a sudden our attitude's better. Guys, you have a better attitude with a 34-inch waist or a 36-inch waist? Ladies, <laughs> fill, in your, fill in your own scale there. I don't want to step on any toes, so you fill in your own scale. Um, but physiologically, when you wake up and you're sitting there crushing coffee or you're crushing monster energy drinks, because physiologically, your self-image and your physical part is not allowing you to, we have your attitude. Everybody knows right now, every single one of you, when I say the word hangry, immediately everybody knows what hangry means. Off the, yes. Do you perform well when you're hangry? No. Do you speak well to your spouse when you're hangry? No. Are you good with your kids when you're hangry? No. What are you good with when you're hangry? Nothing. I'm a miserable human being to be around and everybody hates me. So our attitude has a lot to do with that. Okay, self-image, both physical and physiological. And what we said uh, earlier is our exposure to growth opportunities. This is personal development. This is what so many of us have said about personal development is the one thing that can change your attitude that you grew up with, the, the home you were raised in, for better or worse, the neighborhood you were raised in, for better or worse, the schooling you got, for better or worse, the early relationships you're in, and choices. The beliefs and choices is what I believe is your faith-based attitude. I've seen extreme examples, extreme examples of someone having a terrible attitude and opening this book that we call the Bible and having an extreme attitude adjustment. 
extreme. And when I say extreme, I mean extreme. It changes people, okay? So our faith matters. Yes. The word does amazing things because it reminds us of what's important, what's at stake. And, and we have to have what we call the intercessor, okay? What is the intercessor for those of you uh, that are deep into the Christian faith? What, what do we refer to as the intercessors? One specific thing. Do we know? Who's referred to as the intercessor? It's the Holy Spirit. And I asked Angelique about this, and I feel it's important. As a Catholic, um, I asked myself, what did I know about the Holy Spirit growing up as a Catholic? And you know what I knew about it? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's it. And I said, maybe that's just me. So I asked Angelique, I said, Ange, growing up in the Greek church, what did you guys know about the Holy Spirit? She goes, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's it. We're robbed. We were robbed. And this is, look, I'll get bold here, but I talked to my mother who just is, is my mother is the poster child for Catholicism and still is. And I asked her, what about the Holy Spirit? It's the sign. It's the Trinity. We just know that. No, it's the intercessor. It's the worker. It's, it's the one who intercesses on our behalf here on earth. It is the pow, par, part of the Trinity that is the most powerful. What my pastor Mark Driscoll said is the most underutilized power force that we have. It's underutilized. We don't tap into it. Okay? So if we go back to our daily work, and what I picked out here in addition to Jody, it says, within a matter of days, it went from the best to the worst. How many of you guys have ever had that? I'm having a great week. I'm having a great year. And all of a sudden, look at COVID. We can pinpoint almost to a, a, a day, a week, or a month when we said, this is great. We have the lowest unemployment. We have no wars. Life is good in January of 2020. And then just like this happened to Elijah, we went from having one of our best years to having hell in a handbasket, one of our worst years like that. Why? Within a matter of days, we got discouraged. And guess what? We are carrying that. Many of us, and I'll raise my hand first, now, it's like quicksand. It's like, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like quicksand, or it's just like in The Godfather. When Michael Corleone goes, just when I thought I was out, it keeps pulling me back in. Just when I thought this COVID thing, we were getting out of it, and we're pulling... It keeps pulling us back in, discouragement. So what do we do? We go to the word. Let God restore your perspective. Let him restore it. Who else can restore your perspective? The news isn't gonna, that's for sure. You might have some of those friends that have a great attitude. They can help restore it. But nobody can give you a perspective, a earthly, biblical, universal, timeless perspective like the word can. So if we go to the second thing, once we know we're going to be discouraged, it says it in the Bible. You, you will have trouble in this world. 
but do not be discouraged. So we know it. It shouldn't be, come as any surprise. We'd like to think of it, but like my dad once gave me advice, he goes, how would you ever knew true joy if you didn't know true what? Sorrow. You would not appreciate anything. And some of you guys out there right now, you've been through things that we wouldn't wish our worst enemy. We would not wish it upon our worst enemy. And we'd like to think we have nothing else coming, but we wouldn't know it. We would take it for granted. We would take life for granted. We would take happiness for granted. As, as much as we don't want anything bad to come into our lives, we would take happiness for granted. Some of you guys who have been overweight, you would never take your health for granted unless you really knew, you would always take your health for granted, I mean, unless you didn't have that perspective, okay? So the next thing is change. So this says that Daniel is our case study, and the young man was removed from his familiar surroundings, taken captive by the Babylonians and the Persians. He was forced to adapt to a new culture, a new way of life. Talk about change. But Daniel negotiated the changes in his life and maintained his principles. He later became the most influential man in the nation. Gosh, there's so many things we can relate this to. Change. Where we heard that word? Hope and change. Every time there's a damn political cycle we hear, we need change. Because the last party, whoever it was, stunk. We need to change. Then this party comes in. No, we need to change back. And we have this political tennis match going back and forth over whose change is better. And sometimes that change really gets to us. I have a certain way that I think, and the people that are in charge right now are diametrically opposed to my viewpoint. And I have to be more like Daniel. I have to be like, look, I have to keep that positive attitude and there will be a time for change in my direction. How many of you guys right now are feeling like Daniel? How many of you ever felt right now like, hey, you know what? I'm in this den. I'm in this place where I don't know if I'm going to be able to break out. But he maintained a positive perspective. How many feel like that? Is anybody in that place right now? Okay. So then you have problems. So let's go through this. We go one, two, three. Discouragement, change. These are, these are what John C. Maxwell categorizes as the five big attitude obstacles. Problems. The case study here is Job. The story of Job is a man who faced the worst problems. Again, he was having his best life. He had flocks of animals. He had wonderful family. He was happy. And then all of a sudden, it got taken away one by one. And this is probably the quintessential lesson in the Bible about keeping a positive attitude. If you've ever been in church and the pastor or the priest is talking about how to have a positive attitude, the, the go-to is always Job because he kept saying, geez. And here's the thing that's it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around this is he was being tested by who? The devil himself, or at that time, Lucifer, right? And God was giving him the okay. Yeah, if you want to test my boy, Job, go ahead. You know, I give you permission. And you're like, <laughs> some of us here on earth are like, really? Can, I mean, can we pick somebody else? 
I don't really want to be tested right now. It's not my thing. But he had problems. Like Jay-Z, right? He had 99 problems, probably. We won't say what the, the next one was because we're not that kind of a show here. But he had problems, 99 problems. He lost his land. He lost his livestock. He lost his children, even. To make matters worse, his friends began to throw their theories at him as to why he was going through such a hard time. Surely it must be your fault, Job. You must have done something wrong to deserve this. But all the while, his attitude was steady and hopeful, and he was rewarded by God in the end. We live in an instantaneous culture right now where we don't want to go through anything. Some of you guys who have switched companies or you switch relationships, you don't want to go through the dip. If you were in a bad relationship and you're getting out of it, you don't want to go through the heartache. You don't want to go through those parts where you're like lonely and crying. If you were making good money in a company and you got laid off or you got fired or you had to switch companies, you don't want to start from scratch or you don't want to get to know everybody all over again. You don't want to have to learn a new system. Your attitude depends on it. You're never going to meet somebody else and fall in love if you carry that baggage from the last relationship. You're never going to thrive in your new company if all you can do is hate on your old company. Anybody here guilty of that sometimes? Let's turn the mirror right on ourselves, right? If we're constantly in anger over what happened, we can't have the attitude to proceed because people see that. Remember, our inward feelings being expressed in an outward attitude. We have to be careful of that sometimes. Punch a pillow. Scream inside. You know, go work it off in the gym. But don't take it out on Twitter. Don't take it out on Facebook. Don't call up somebody and start arguing. Chris Harder, again, I always mention Chris, he did a fantastic job of this. He maintained a great attitude. And when I used to call him looking for someone to commiserate with me about something that I was pissed off about, he would never allow me to go there. He would never join in in it. And I, and I, and I would quickly see this. At first, I would get angry. And I'll ask you guys that. Have you ever called somebody a friend or someone on your team because you wanted somebody to be on your side and you had to vent and I'm pissed off about something and you need them to commiserate with you? And how many times do they? And then you feel good. Yeah. But what really comes about? And so Chris Harder, I would do that. The first couple of times I'd be get off the phone like, man, I'd be pissed off that he didn't want to take my anger to the next level and, and agree with me. And then I realized he was doing that as a leader, that he would not allow me to go there, even if I thought maybe he was feeling the same thing. And then what happened? I didn't, I, I would second guess my own, my own anger and be like, well, what would he do? And so that was a great lesson. Have I totally kick that feeling? No, I'm human. And I go back to those old strongholds sometimes, but I do recognize it more often. Anybody feel that? We shake our heads. Okay. Um, so we see Joe, you have to maintain positivity, even in the worst of cases. If we go to the next one, which John C. Maxwell says is fear, the case study is David. Do you remember the teenager who fought Goliath and won? Of course. It's a great story. We all love to, hey, this is David and the Goliath story. We use it in sports. The old cliche in sports, 
This is the story of David and Goliath. There's no way that the Giants can overcome this Patriots team who's went through the season undefeated. They have Tom Brady. They have Randy Moss. And what happens? The Giants win. But consider the fact that David did it in the face of hundreds of frightened soldiers. Fear surrounded him in the camp. But David saw only one thing, that Goliath was a man defiling God himself. He knew that God was bigger than the giant and defeated him with a stone and a good attitude. So what does this tell us? What does this case study in fear, the David and Goliath story, really demonstrate? We are going to have moments when we're fearful. We are going to have times in life when there's no way out of this. The odds are stacked against us. And this is a great illustration in the Bible because the easiest way to see it is with size. We can, we can try and illustrate this point with money, with kingdoms, with attitude, with marriage, whatever. There's always something. But when you talk about a good old-fashioned fist fight, if you looked at two guys in the ring today and one guy was six foot nine and the other guy was five foot four and you had a hundred dollars to bet, who are you betting on? Put my hundred bucks on the guy who's six foot eight. Now there's a certain fear factor. If we saw that we, as the, as the, the army, if we saw this in the audience, let's just put ourselves in this modern day gladiators ring we are the army or we're the fans in this case and we see a guy six foot nine with all these muscles and we see a guy five foot four who doesn't have any muscles we're going to be fearful in our minds we're going to be like oh my god that you know we're going to bite our nails like that guy's going to get his butt kicked this is going to be ugly and then that little guy has to find some type of massive massive confidence in himself and through a god confidence and when he wins everybody loves it right who loves the underdog story? Why did we love Rocky? He was the underdog. Why did we, why do we love the guy who makes it into the NFL or the guy who makes it into the NBA, who is short? He came from a small school. He shouldn't be there. And now he's the MVP. I'll look at a guy like Julian Edelman for any of you football fans. Just balling. But he's the he's the David among the Goliaths of the NFL. So we have to overcome that fear, and that holds us back a lot in our business. Think about that. You're going up against somebody in your business right now that has a big name. Let's, let's relate this to what we're doing. And you both have a prospect. And you, that prospect says, well, I'm talking to so-and-so from another company. Who, who are you talking to? And they say a name, and you look that person up. And what's, what's the six foot eight now if we relate that to terms of what, what would that six foot eight look like in terms of you looking up that prospect? Who knows? What's the one thing we look at? The stat. Followers. Oh my gosh, I can't go. I, how am I going to recruit this person? They're, they're, they're being recruited by someone who has 75,000 followers. They're being recruited by a person who uh, is driving around in a uh, Rolls Royce or something like that. We are, we are, we are the, the David and the Goliath story. So there's a practical examination that you have to have a God confidence like David did and realize it just takes one stone in the right place. And you don't need an army. And the last thing is failure. 
So um, a case study in failure is Barnabas, someone that if those of you guys who know the Bible and we say Barnabas, you're like, eh, you know, I, I might have heard of it, but it's not really the not really the story I think of when I think of biblical stories. So some scholars believe that Barnabas was the Barnabas who was passed over to replace Judas as the 12th apostle. If so, he didn't gamble and go home, grumble and go home. He assumed his ministry was there to promote others, and he did so by giving his money generously and his time to the younger leaders who he needed to mentor, not the least of whom was Paul, well, this is going to get good here, the greatest apostle in history. In history. Barnabas took failure and turned it into success. <sighs> Let's unpack this. I just said most of us haven't even heard of Barnabas. But Barnabas was known maybe as the apostle that replaced Judas, right? When they went out in Acts and Judas was no longer there. <laughs> we know why he left. He's hanging on a tree somewhere. Um, but he sat there, maybe outside the 12, sat in the background and said, hey, I'll still, I'll still contribute to the cause. I'll, I'll still give my knowledge to these other young men. I'm not in the cool group yet. I'm not in the clique. Maybe I'll never be in the clique, but all of a sudden there goes Judas and there's an opportunity and he's like, okay, now not only am I here, but I didn't even know that this young person I was mentoring was Paul, right? I didn't even know that person was Paul. How cool is that? So think about this in your life. Who are you right now going, I want to be in this group. I'm not getting recognized enough by my leader. I'm not asked to speak enough. I'm not asked to contribute enough. Um, and my attitude sucks because of that. We see it a lot. We see it a lot. The lesson here is do what you do and do it at a high level, even if you're not receiving the praise that you deserve yet, even if you're not getting the things. When we go out there, we need validation. We need to know what we're doing is right. And sometimes when we don't get the validation in terms of likes and comments or accolades from our company, we want to pull back and say, well, screw you guys. I won't do anything then. I'll just sit back here. I'll quit or I'll go to another company. Instead of like Barnabas, you know what? I know what I'm supposed to do. I'll keep doing it. I'll do it at a high level. And then who knows what will happen? Maybe my day to shine will come. Or maybe I'm going to be mentoring this person who will do things greater than me. And maybe they'll give you some love later on. That's the question. What do we need to fill our egos and our attitude? What if you did mentor somebody and that person rose to success? So what if Tom mentored a young basketball player and, and, and Tom saw that guy go to the NBA? And every game, as that guy won in one playoff game, games and won the NBA championship, Tom would watch the press conference wondering, is he ever going to mention his coach, his high school coach and what he did for him? Is it bad to want that? It's a good question. When people, especially in this day and age, when we are responsible for promoting ourselves, I just asked Angelique this morning, if I forward this post, does it look like I'm just trying to get myself built up or is this advertising 
you know, because I always want to come from a place of humility. So if Tom coaches that guy who wins an NBA championship, is Tom wrong for saying, geez, I would hope he'd kind of mention his old coach here that built him up. It's, it's human nature, but we shouldn't need that. Look, we sometimes as Christians, we're too critical. We have to realize that human nature is for us to have that those thoughts and we can't beat ourselves up but the question then becomes is especially for the those of you guys out there in in the industry ask yourself this write it down and put it somewhere does it matter who gets credit does it matter who gets credit or are we really working for the team because it's it's really the same answer but two different answers We'd like to think it doesn't matter, but it does. But it does in the big picture, especially if it's affecting our bottom line. If, if, if we bring someone into the company and we never get the credit we deserve for mentoring them or bringing them in, but our bottom line is better, excuse me, is benefiting from that. Okay. Or just our self-worth. Sometimes like it's enough to know that I was there. You know, I'm not not getting the credit from the world, but I know what I did. And then the question becomes at a bigger standpoint is my friend asked this. He says he went into prayer and God said, am I enough? And that blew my mind. It's such a simple question. Because this guy was coaching a lot of people. He was very successful. He had several businesses. And he goes, I went into prayer and I heard God specifically ask me, am I enough? And that answers so many questions right now with what's going on with the world and social media and recognition and validation. Am I enough? Because God knows what you did. He knows what's in your heart. So does it matter if the rest of the world is not giving you the credit? Is that going to affect your attitude? Where will, where will we receive the ultimate rewards? Here? In heaven. So that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. It sounds great. We can hear that in church. We can hear that on here and go, yeah, absolutely. But we are right now living in the world. And if we're not constantly reminded of that, then it doesn't matter because as soon as we step off this particular um, conversation here, we go back into those things where it does matter. And we have to continually remind ourselves. And that's where we can come full circle with the attitude here. We have to continually remind ourselves that there will be problems, there will be fear, there will be discouragement, and there will be change. But in the end, am I enough? Am I enough? Meaning, is God enough? Not me, David. Is God enough? He's going to ask you that. Do you need everybody else to pat you on the back? Do you need everybody else to forward your post? Do you need everybody else to put you on stage? Do you need that person that you mentored to accept that award? to accept that championship and say, I owe it all to, or do you just need to know that you did well in the eyes of your father? It's a big question. And as it sits today, we have to say, maybe it should matter more. Maybe it should matter more because I think that will change our attitude a whole bunch. And your attitude, as John C. Maxwell said, it is one of the most important things.
It is one of the most important things to your success because people see it. Not only do they see it, but they feel it. Remember we talked earlier about thinking about the people you know who have a great attitude and who you want to be around? Sometimes you can't put your finger on it. If I say, why do you want to be around this person? Why do you think that person has a great attitude? What makes them a great leader? You can take a stab at a couple of things, but in the end, you're like, it's just a feeling I get. There's an essence about them. There's a spirit in them that I want to be around. Their attitude is infectious. We've heard that before, right? So I want you to think about that as you, as you leave. I want you to think about how we can be better stewards of our attitude on a daily basis and, and winning each day at a time. And then ask yourself that ultimate, ultimate question, is God enough? Because he should be. If we need everybody else to like us and agree with us and promote us, we're fighting the wrong battle. So get out there and change your attitude. Make it a good one, okay? Thank you guys for joining us today. I hope you got something out of this, and we will see you next time.